0: Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Memento on the Main Line. We're your hosts. I'm Dr. Joanna Hollerin.
1: And I'm Dr. Elon Green. We're here to talk about all things health, wellness, fitness, performance, and overall well being. Hope you enjoy the show. Here And today I got to sit down with Rob Shimoni. Rob is a PGA teaching professional from Lansdale, Pennsylvania, and he's in his third season as an instructor at the Philadelphia Cricket Club in Flower Town. He's studied under the mentorship of several top 100 teachers in the nation, including Claude Harmon III, Jack Lumpkin, and Justin Parsons. He's also a recent graduate of Coastal Carolina's PGA Golf Management Program, and as a result, he's had the opportunity to spend time with coaches throughout the East Coast as part of the university's internship program. These include both the Butch Harmon Golf School at the Floridian and the Sea Island Golf Performance Center. We got to discuss a lot of really interesting topics that I think will be extremely beneficial for our listeners who are golfers or those who work with golfers. Rob shared his ground-up approach to working with golfers, tips for posture, stance, and other pre-swing fundamentals, and we dove into performance aspects such as applications of the kinematic sequence, hip-torso separation, common faults in footwork that lead to breakdowns up the kinetic chain, and even recommendations for how to go about seeking you know instruction with uh, a you know PGA professional. So I had a lot of fun chatting with him and I hope you enjoy the episode. So let's get into it. All right, Rob, welcome to the show, man. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh I was super excited to have you on and I know we talked about this before we, you know, started recording, but um one of the things that prompted me even reaching out to you in the first place was just the fact that I feel like as a healthcare provider, there's a lot of gaps in terms of uh working with golfers. Especially golfers in pain in terms of getting back some of the technique-specific stuff, and so I'm super excited to pick your brain on some of this stuff. And I appreciate you being here.
0: Well, thanks for having me, Elon. I appreciate yeah. it. I'm uh, looking forward to hopefully offering some some information on you know what your patients and you know, the golfers in general can look for in terms of you know ways to improve, whether it be technique or whether it has anything to do with their golf game in relation to your practice as well. So
1: looking forward to this. Cool. Well, so I know, you know, in in the intro, we touched a little bit about, uh, about background and, um, I know right before we started recording too, we talked a little bit about like kind of your path into it and the program that you were at at Coastal Carolina. So I first, just to kind of start things off, what got you on this path toward, um, being like a golf teaching professional?
0: Yeah. So golf was never mind being First sport growing up. I actually grew up an ice hockey player. Um, and then eventually, uh, as I grew up, it became a passion of mine that overtook ice hockey. And so uh, looking into career paths for golf, I saw that there's a university program uh, called PGA Golf Management that 19 colleges have throughout the country. And basically what it is, is you get, you know, a full-time degree, whether it's business. I know some schools are parks and recreation. Um, but it ties in a PGA accreditation into a business school format, which is really cool. Um, so I went to Coastal Carolina University, which is down in Myrtle Beach. Uh, there's the Shauna Clears, which is like a kind of a fictional character, like a rooster. Um, yeah. But uh, I think it's one of the Canterbury tales, is what it's from. But um, yeah, I enjoyed my time down there. It's a really cool part of the country. You know, it's not too far from Charleston, not too far from Pinehurst. So we had plenty of day. Day golf trips throughout college and um, it's a nice pathway to kind of move up as a PGA professional and expose yourself to a series of internships throughout it, where you get to work at different courses and travel the country and it was really a blast.
1: Yeah, no kidding. I mean, just, just the experience to be able to kind of get in touch with some of the people who are doing it at a very high level. I mean, it's, it's not often that you get those types of experiences. So to be able to kind of be propelled toward that and then have that kind of shape your, your path through your career, that's, that's pretty cool. So yeah, I mean, kind of diving right into it. I mean, right now you're at Philadelphia Cricket Club. What kind of players are you working with? What kind of things are you focusing on primarily right now?
0: Yeah, so Photo Care Create Club it's in Flowertown, PA. And a majority of the students that I teach are junior golfers, probably 60, 40 junior to adult ratio. Um, and so mostly working with high school, middle school level kids, um, even a little younger sometimes. And you know, at that age it's mostly about just keeping it fun, you know, maybe showing them a little bit here and there about technique and, and setup and stuff, but at that age most of them are all athletes anyway. So it's funny, a lot of times when I'm working with kids at that age, we don't talk a whole lot about how they're moving, has a lot more to do with, you know, just showing them some simple fundamentals and then letting them kind of just being an athlete from there. Um, and then, you know, maybe a little little less percentage I work with adults and that ranges from anywhere from right out of college to, to the senior level. So, um, it's probably the most fun part of my job is that I get to work with every type of student, every age group, both male and female, and um, the skill levels range from beginner all the way to you know more advanced players. So it's it's really cool to kind of go through and have that variety every day. You know?
1: Yeah, for it's sure. What I really love about my job, and and it's interesting. I feel like you know we we talk with people who work with wide ranges of you know especially people who work with athletes. Some work with. <laughs> A mix of younger and then older and competitive and then some just recreational. And it is kind of interesting to see where it's like, I I feel like the really, really good ones, especially when they're working with younger populations, are just, yeah, focusing on the fundamentals, keeping it simple, allowing them to kind of enjoy the process. And then as they get more and more advanced, that's when you can kind of start tweaking things and, you know, using some of the specialty. But otherwise, I mean, just being able to show people that golf can be a lot of fun and and building confidence in it can, I mean, that's, that's important in itself.
0: Absolutely. There's a lot of life lessons in golf too. I mean, it's something that you can do throughout your entire life. I tell the kids all the time, like when you're 80 years old, you're not going to be able to play football or baseball, (laughs) but you're always going to have golf. And so um, it's a game for life. And if you can learn these skills from a young age, I I can't tell you the amount of adults that I teach that are 40, 50 years old. And they say, gosh, I wish I started playing when I was younger. (laughs) You know, it's, it's true. It's, it's something where, and start at a, at a young age, you'll have it throughout your entire life.
1: Yeah, no kidding. And in terms of life lessons, I feel like for whatever reason, I think the, (laughs) for lack of a better way to put it, I think the more exposure that we have to failure at an earlier rate, the more we're just kind of able to handle it. And golf is one of those sports where, I mean, very few people are very good at it. The majority of us are like, you know, unless you're playing hundred percent of the time, you're going to be exposed to a lot of failure. And so being able to kind of like incorporate those things, build that mental toughness, it carries over to so many other parts of life. So that's pretty cool. Um, so I know we're, I have, we have a bunch of topics that we're going to talk about today. Um, I know we talked about it before, but we're going to kind of dive right in. I know we wanted today to kind of follow the same sort of path that a lot of your approach to teaching takes. And I think a good place to start off is with posture and stance. And so, I know we can always relate it, especially for the audience listening to, um, fitness and injury prevention, but in terms of just kind of like approaching setup, I mean, in my practice, I see a lot of people who I feel like their pain develops through, um, you know, abnormal postures and, you know, various stances that just kind of allow them to immediately go into positions and postures throughout their swing that end up contributing to their pain. So your approach of being able to do these like or look at pre-swing fundamentals helps to kind of negate some of those things helps to prevent injury so can you talk a little bit about how you approach posture and stance and some of those pre-swing fundamentals
0: absolutely so um, a lot of the shadowing that i've done over the years with a lot of top coaches i've noticed that setup is really so important to this swing. you know um, a lot of times especially with good players but even for your average amateur, you know, when things aren't going well within your swing, it usually stems from something you're doing pre-swing. And so, if that means you know your posture is getting off, your alignments are getting off, your grip—something like super small before you even move the club—that's um, always like a prerequisite to me looking at the actual motion, whatever pattern you have. And so, um, I agree, setup. You know, that might include, like we're saying, grip, posture, stance. And it's really is the the fundamental before I even look at how you're moving. And so uh, I would say majority of the golfers that I see, there's like two, kind of two types of posture that we don't want to see. You have S posture and C posture. And So C posture is like you're slumped over too flex before you go, probably standing too far from the ball. And you know, S posture is you've seen the golfer that sticks his hips way too far behind him. And, his mm-hmm. spine super extended and um, those are like our, our two types of postures that we really don't want. They're not very athletic, but they're also probably going to put you in a position that is going to be pretty uncomfortable if you're moving at a high rate of speed. You know? yeah. um, and so you see this all the time. I see a perfect example recently on the PGA tour with Will Taurus, who yep. just got two herniated discs. And, you know, he's a good example of someone that was just in a little bit of S posture But through so much playing practice, like obviously he he swings a lot more than the average person, you know, professional is going to get a lot more reps in. And so, um, from him swinging so fast, so many times in that same set of position, he, he did a lot of damage to his back over the year. Mm -hmm. It's a shame because he had such a good year going. He was second in FedEx cup. He was second in race to Dubai. I mean, um, but you can see how, you know, over months and months of making the same move from a poor setup can really create bad effects, even for the best of the world. Someone who's really very fit, um, even though he might be a little skinny for his height, but I guarantee you he has the mobility, the flexibility, but, um, you know, no matter how strong or mobile you are, there's positions that are going to hurt you no matter what. And so it's a great example of how him just doing maybe a having a little more diligence with pre-shot routine, a little more diligence getting into a more, you know, neutral spine angle would have done him probably a world of you know, good for, for the rest of the year here. So, yes, I absolutely agree. Posture is probably the the number one pre-swing fundamental that, that I see go wrong for students. Mm-hmm. You know, alignment, alignment's important, grip's important, but if you're not in an athletic stance, athletic starting position to go, the get-go um it's going to be hard for you to make a, a solid move
1: yeah okay. golf ball. now I'm, I'm curious i actually have, I have two follow-up mm-hmm. questions just about especially talking about zalatoris guy is i mean yeah one of the best in the world but is uh, some of these swing characteristics that you know tpi teaches that happen to have some predisposition to injury um but changing them would alter somebody's swing mechanics and so at what point do you kind of Obviously, that's that's a pretty drastic example of somebody who's at a really really high level. Where maybe if somebody came in and said, "Oh, let's you know maybe see if we can switch this up," right, kind of in the middle of a very competitive part of the year, that might impact their ability to perform, right? But at the same time, his ability to perform was impacted by the way that he was swinging that developed an injury, and now he's going to have to rehab that. So, uh, you know, working with some of like the younger athletes and even some of the adults that you're working with how do you kind of balance that, you know, maintenance of, of power and actual, you know, production and and ability to play with some of those characteristics that you see that might put them at a little bit more of a predisposition to injury?
0: Absolutely. I mean, that's a tough example with Zalatoris because he was playing so well. I doubt he had anybody in his corner that wanted to say, Hey, let's make a change right now.
1: Right. I mean, he's an outlier.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's tough. And you know, if I do have a student that's hitting it really well, for example, let's say I have a high school junior I'm working with, or maybe a younger adult, 20s and 30s, and they're playing really well, but they don't quite have the perfect posture, You know, that's when we need to kind of feel around the bush and maybe make incremental adjustments, very minor adjustments first to try to get them back to what would be more optimal starting position for them. Um, it is, it is a tough thing when someone is playing well you do still need to look out for longevity and, and are you going to do anything to your body here that might potentially pose hazard long term I mm-hmm. mean it doesn't matter how well you're playing if you're not going to be able to play again in a month because you're going to be hurt then yeah. I mean that's that's not going to be very useful you know
1: yeah um, it, I, I think so should... uh, go sorry continue yeah
0: I was I was just going to say you know that that's something where you can be a little more experimental with someone that's an amateur or somebody that's not playing golf for a living um which i i do wonder if there were discussions of that in Zalatoris' corner for sure
1: yeah tough tough to know and i think i mean you see it kind of like across the board in various different sports where there are certain things like uh I think one of the more prominent ones that comes to mind is Robert Griffin III, who was the quarterback who had like a crazy knee valgus type, you know, thing during all of his jump mechanics. And everybody saw it and they were like, well, you know, he might go on to tear his ACL because he has poor you know control of knee mechanics. And sure enough, there it was, but didn't stop him from getting drafted and change anything because that, that kind of spectrum of like <laughs> insane talent level kind of trumps like, you know short term changes that might help for longevity just because you don't want to pull away from that performance. So yeah, definitely a tough call to make. Um, but at the same time, being able to identify some of those things and just kind of build on some of the fundamentals, especially while people are young and, you know, kind of still developing and building that foundation might be, uh, the move, which is, I mean, you know, shameless plug, why I think that what you're doing is so important because working with somebody like you, it allows an opportunity to be able to catch those things. Um, and speaking of, I know we were going to talk a little bit about, um, the kinematic sequence TPI type, you know, thing. I know you're probably a lot more familiar with some of the you know, intricacies of that, but in terms of being able to evaluate some swing mechanics, um, can you talk a little bit about like how you use the kinematic sequence? Are you look, are you using that frequently for assessment in the golfers that you're using? And, and if so, why is that important to check out?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Once I check off that box of a student has a good setup, I can check off that. It looks good, their alignments are putting them in a position that they can still make a good move. That's when I'm going to move on from that pre-swing part we just talked about and then jump ahead to kind of more so how they're moving. And so that's when kinematic sequence is really important and so understanding. The way the body is supposed to function, you know, there's a lot of different moving parts in the golf swing, and understanding where they should all be sometimes feels really complicated. But the golf swing, just like any other sport, has very similar sequences. I mean, I make analogies repeatedly throughout the day to, you know, whether I'm working with someone that's a tennis player, a boxer, baseball player. I mean, so any any sport really still has roots in these same fundamentals that i'm going to discuss here with kinematic sequence and so um, sometimes making those connections for students makes it easier to understand but basically all the kinematic sequence is is it's saying you know what parts of the body are moving at what time and so you know in the golf swing i always start from the ground up i always talk about footwork first and then you know that's going to change how other parts of the body and so ideally Swing. You want to be using bigger muscles versus smaller muscles. I always tell my students, you know, bad players hit the ball with their hands, decent players hit the ball with their arms, and really good players hit the ball with their body. And, you know, what that means is the bigger muscles, the strongest parts of the body, include you know, the legs, the core, the back. And so, you know, if if you have somebody that's not using very much legs to hit the golf ball, they're probably not maximizing how far they could hit it maybe even consistency with timing, you know, mm-hmm. it's really hard to time a lot of moving parts. And so frequently I'll see players where at impact, they look very similar to how they started kind of just facing the golf ball, using a lot of hands and arms and wrists to try to strike it versus really pushing off with their feet, using ground mechanics and springing with, with legs first. And so we're talking about the order of your typical and proper kinematic sequence. Uh, you know a player will make move to the top of their swing where you know they have a little bit of hip turn a little less shoulder turn and from there the legs are going to lead the way to impact and so um, footwork is really what i teach first and it's funny sometimes when a student has good footwork the rest of the sequence just takes care of itself where the legs win the race to impact and then you know the trunk is second Hands and arms are third, and the club head is lagging behind last. And, you know, it's really easy to get too mechanical and just try to talk about each part individually. Where if you can backdoor an entire swing fix with one root cause, whether that be working on footwork first and then everything else takes care of itself, um, it's a lot easier to, you know, make several changes without several thoughts. Some I say frequently. So it's funny, you know, when I, anytime I've watched, I spent a lot of time with Paul Harmon, the third down in Florida, and um, he kind of had a similar approach to teaching where I've, I've kind of adopted what he's done, where you know, he starts with a setup, and then he works on impact. But when he's working on impact, it's, it's really from the ground up, you're working on, you know, what's the lower body doing first, if that is functioning well, then you can move on to the next part of the chain, whether that be upper torso and head, if that looks good, you can move on to hands and arms. And then lastly, you know, you'll see what the club's doing, everything checks out. That's why anytime I'd watch a tour pro or some really high level players take lessons with some of these top coaches, there's very little being discussed about, you know, what, what their body's actually doing for them. They move so well that it's a lot of just hand and arm adjustments or even just club face adjustments. And so that's why I always enjoyed watching, you know, higher handicappers take, take lessons with these coaches, because you really got to see, lot of this talking about kinematic sequence and and really using bigger muscles like we're saying so i think that's a huge concept but there's so much there that if you're just trying to make these analogies to other sports when you make a forehand in tennis you don't think about the sequence you just do it when you throw a baseball everybody does it properly and so Mm -hmm. you know it's making these analogies and i'll I'll take videos of students doing I, i have all all the different tools for other sports. I have footballs in my shed where I do my teaching and I have baseballs and bats. And I'll take videos of them saying, hey, show me how you swing a baseball bat. And they do it. And then for some reason, when they get a golf club in their hands, it feels very different. And the reason for that is, I mean, golf's a very asymmetrical sport. You know, your body's facing 90 degrees from where your target is. The body's bent and tilted in a much different way from these other sports. And, you know, it just, it feels very different being static, hitting a ball off the ground versus, you know, a lot of these other activities, you're moving around, you're in motion constantly. Um, and I think sometimes that that static feel can make people feel a little awkward and lose a little bit of their natural athleticism at yeah. times. It's, so, it's so, less uh, act- or reactionary,
1: right? right? You're kind of, mm-hmm. yeah, standing still, the ball is still, and there's a lot to kind of focus on in one moment versus just kind of having that quick reaction to it.
0: Absolutely. And so, you know, the, the another important conversation that ties into this, you mentioned before, like, like hip and torso separation, and how does that work into all this, um, you know, something I find myself frequently talking about in the golf swing, when I have someone that has a solid setup in front of me, uh, they make a good backswing, they get to the top of their backswing, they're in a great spot, they kind of get stuck and they don't know where to go from there. And so that's often in transition, as we call it, the transition of the golf swings from your backstroke to your forward stroke. Mm-hmm. And, you know, tying in this idea of separation, you know, you have somebody where they turn their hips more than their shoulders, they get to the top of their swing, they look really, really good. And people don't understand that your momentum, lower body momentum has to go forward before the club reaches the top of the swing. Yeah. Um, and so that's where. At the top of the swing you have the most degree of separation. Separation meaning your hips and your upper trunk are moving in two different directions and so I know probably a lot of your work is you know showing patients how they can maximize separation and you know retain mobility and strength while they make these athletic moves whatever sport they're doing it with uh, and so you know the, the sequence here, kinematic sequence, we're talking about lower body, your footwork starts to move to your left side or right before the club starts down. That seems really early for most people. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just, again, going back to the sport, feeling a little asymmetrical, you're starting static reactionary. Um, I think that that's a concept that most people, when I first showed to them, can't really wrap their head around it at first, but through practice and you know, showing them how they can build that into their swing. um, They start to get it sooner rather than later.
1: Mm -hmm. And I I think uh, kind of going back to, well, I I think, I think hip torso separation and a lot of like the footwork and and position of the lower body, like during stance, I think the majority of the work that I do with patients who have low back pain stemming from golf is pretty much right around that. And and so Mm -hmm. it's, I think the challenging part for me as a practitioner is the fact that I am, not a golf teaching professional <laughs> and so in terms of like you know finding the line between getting them to be in good positions and activate things at the right time versus being able to provide them swing specific cues is a very difficult line to you know uh, make sure that i don't necessarily cross so I, I guess kind of like a long question but especially for you know any of the the healthcare professionals who are listening to this too um Two-part question here. First part is, what are some of the things that you see in terms of footwork that end up kind of creating that that uh, inefficient chain moving upwards? So, what kind of faults or or things do you kind of pick up on that help you to indicate that you need to first look at footwork before you start to move up? Even if they have like you know hips are off, back pain might be there. Um, and then we'll dive into the second part. But the second part is just kind of like how. Uh, like, when do you think that it would be worth being able to refer that person to a teaching professional for more of like instruction for that type of thing? Um, and, you know, where kind of falls within the realm of of movement, healthcare professional versus technique specific coach, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. So, so for the first part there, where do I typically see footwork go wrong? And at what point in the sequence do I see a breakdown? Mm-hmm. Um, usually it's, it's near transition. I see a lot of people typically make pretty solid backswings. Once they're in a good setup. Yeah. Um, occasionally you'll see a player sway off the ball and have a lot of lateral movement. Um, and so I would say where I see the footwork go wrong, I see sometimes people putting too much pressure on the outsides of their feet, you know, the pinky toes, the weakest yeah. toe. And so really channeling pressure into the inner ball of the foot underneath the big toe to be more specific. Um, You know that's a stronger part that you can use as leverage to push back and forth for both feet, and so I really teach trying to stay on that inner part of the foot. And you'd be surprised when somebody's swaying and you do that they don't sway anymore, and so that's kind of the domino effect, for example, like right there. Um, That's the first, probably the first most common thing I see. Um, It's kind of rare, but it happens where I do see players that have too much like toe to heel movement going on.
1: Yeah, I mean, ideally,
0: we don't want we don't want a lot of east west. You don't want a, a ton of north south. And so you want to keep it pretty central again on the balls of your feet. You know, you're never going to hit a jumper in basketball off your heels. So there's really not a lot of points in the golf swing that you should be very far back on your heels. You know, you mm-hmm. know some teachers are going to coach the footwork transitions toe to heel a little bit, but it doesn't stray that far off of the balls of the feet. You know, give or take, there's a range because with anything, but um, you never want to be totally out on top of your tips of your toes. You never want to be all the way on the back of your heels, mm-hmm. and then vice versa, inside, outside. I think it's a lot better to stay a little more towards the inside, if anything. Um, so, like, channeling where the pressure is actually going in your feet, but then also, like I alluded to, allowing the pressure to move forward or right into your left side at the correct time. And so, it's funny, that means well, not well before, but before the downswing starts. And when I'm down at the Floridian, it's called down in, in Jupiter, they have these swing catalyst pressure plates, which yep. they actually, they have them for, for several other sports, including baseball too, but I'd go on these and I'd look up the different players that are practicing there and whether it be like the or Brooks, Kepka, Ricky Fowler, and I'd look at some of their footwork on the computer and you can see exactly where the pressure is in their feet at what parts of the swing and when is their momentum changing direction and that change of direction is well before the club changes direction you know and we're talking about that's a whole chain of events and you have the lower body that feeds the first part of the chain and the club is the last part of the chain that's where some people just get lost looking on that other end of the chain instead of looking at what what the core you know, cause effect relationship is
1: right. Yeah. And and it makes a lot of sense. And and just to kind of like tie it back in terms of pressure through the feet, one of the reasons that's just to kind of summarize it. One of the reasons that's most important is because if you're essentially, you know, too far outside, you're not putting as much force through the ground, which means that force isn't translated through the body and then in through the club head, same kind of thing. If a foot isn't necessarily stable, if you kind of start to glide a little bit too far out or, you know, sink back towards the heels a little bit, you also lose a little bit of force through, can't produce as much rotation, not enough power, and it also changes position so your accuracy goes down. Um, and accuracy is is hard enough in golf uh, <laughs> in general for for some of us uh, amateurs. But um, anyway, so yeah, I mean, in terms of being able to like optimize some of those things, sometimes just, like you said, proper cueing to kind of feel pressure in the right places on the feet can fix it. Um, in terms of, you know, like I, I think kind of going back to the second part in terms of when to kind of get somebody in, and we can talk a little bit about this later too, um, when to bring somebody in, when, you know, focusing specifically on technique and the presence of pain will help to resolve it. I think there, just to throw out kind of my opinion on it, I think there are a few things that we can do as healthcare providers to be able to kind of put them in a good position and cue them properly, if we can understand the context of of the golf swing. Um, But I think that there are specific things that it's so much easier having somebody who's able to coach specifically to get them to make those changes a lot more simply than us working in office. And I think kind of going back to what you said about being like an experienced instructor, simple cues can make huge differences. And so having somebody who's really, you know, an expert at that. It, it creates a lot more of a, a team approach where they're able to focus on that aspect of it. And then you can begin kind of working up the chain a little bit. It helps to kind of progress rehab along because, you know, odds are fixing some of the mechanics in the lower body are going to help to, you know, <laughs> help the, the rehab process progress. And you can kind of work in a team there. Um, in terms of some of the hip torso positions, I know especially for, for, patients who have back pain that's golf-related and for healthcare providers that are treating people who have back pain from golf, there are a few things that they probably need to be aware of in terms of some of the discomfort that comes along with hip-torso separation. And what I mean by that is, you know, sometimes it can just be an uncomfortable position. There's not necessarily an injury. It's something that they might need to get used to, right? Versus something that's maybe a little bit too much torque or just a little bit too much on the system and causing an injury. Can you talk a little bit about like your experience with, with getting somebody comfortable with hip torso separation and when you feel like it's okay to have some of that discomfort. And when you feel like maybe it's something that should get checked out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my, my first question as a coach, when I'm meeting somebody for the first time is, you know, have you had any injuries, any surgeries? Do you have anything that already causes discomfort? So I can get a sense of whether a particular move is going to put them at risk for aggravating. Something further. And that doesn't even only go for the full swing. Like I even ask that sometimes with putting. If I have someone in a putting stance and say, you know, to move your head a certain way, if they have neck problems, that's probably, you know, needs to be something to be considered uh, for me to actually make an adjustment for them. And so that's always my first question, usually with a new student is, have you had any injuries, anything that bothers you? And if not, and that's great. You know, we can start to talk about how we're moving. And then I can, once they start swinging, already see what their mobility and flexibility is and make a good adjustment and, and assessment on, you know, how much are they going to be able to actually separate, you know, the more separation, obviously, the more speed we can generate through the sequence, but that puts a lot more strain on the back, like particularly the lumbar region. So you, know, you can see how somebody that's swinging a much faster that needs to be considered more. If I'm working with a 10 year old junior golfer. That's really athletic and has had no background with back issues then you know, they're swinging 60 miles an hour with their driver. I don't need to worry about it too much, but right. if I have a 25, 30 year old, that's swinging 120 miles an hour with their driver, um, that's a big responsibility for me because I can really put them at risk if I don't monitor what they're what they're doing and so you kind of need to get a feel for what student you have in front of you and get a feel for you know what is their strength and mobility profile and you know most of the time i'm going to be able to make a good good judgment as to whether i'm going to be able to have a large degree of separation or a lesser degree of separation if that makes sense
1: yeah absolutely and I know just uh, mm-hmm. as an interesting note too, I know we talked about it before, but there was uh, another big name injury a couple years back, uh, Patrick Cantley, who was out for about three years specifically because of that kind of speed at rotation and the, the hip torso separation. I actually, I can, I can link it below too if anybody's interested in looking at the, the details, but they, they did a kinematic sequence measurement on his, uh, well, pretty much from the backswing into his downswing and looked at hip torso separation and where he developed that, you know, power and speed. I have the numbers here too because I found it pretty fascinating. Average separation on the downswing, so from the backswing when the hips begin to rotate through in PGA players is about 5 degrees. So it's like after they've already got there, they begin to separate a bit more. It's about at 5 degrees. His, he had a a shoulders turned about 36 degrees more than hips at the top of the backswing. And then as he approached the downswing, it turned into roughly 54 degrees, meaning that he had like almost 20 degrees of extra rotation coming through at a really, really high speed. And so from that specifically, he ended up developing like, I think it was a stress fracture in the lumbar spine and had to kind of come back and rework it. And like you're saying, kind of fixing some of those mechanics Um, he was able to essentially get like 49 degrees of total rotation, dropping that separation down to three to four degrees and his power actually went up. So it's like, you know, sometimes being able to kind of focus on those things and proper mechanics and make sure that, you know, you're doing something that, I mean, respects anatomy, but also respects the talent of the player can make a huge difference in that. Um,
0: absolutely. And it's funny, like you're saying, sometimes an improvement actually goes the other way is sometimes a player might need less separation which if anything is going to help put less pressure on their body. Yeah. And so that's probably a rarer case, but yeah, rare. know, if, if, if you get somebody that is uber flexible, very mobile and has too much of a degree of separation to the point where it's, it's adversely affecting their swing, um, that's always an easier adjustment going the opposite way. But most, most percentage of golfers that aren't using enough legs, aren't using enough of that idea, it, we're, we're probably going to be having to consider some of these some of these uh, ideas. Here, sure. Yeah,
1: yeah. Again, uh, yeah. Just to mm-hmm. to highlight, definitely a rare one. Not <laughs> not something that's super super common, but fascinating nonetheless. Um, I I think in terms of, cause I feel like I mean, obviously like back and hip pain in general is is. Primarily what I'm seeing with a lot of golfers, obviously we get some of the elbow stuff, but I feel like a lot of time it's primarily back and hips. And so when it comes to, you know, pelvis, uh, positioning and, and differences in, you know, positioning throughout the swing, can you talk a little bit about what you're looking for and, uh, what kind of like optimal mechanics looks like for the majority of cases?
0: Yeah. So, so going back to our first topic, we you know, that's set up. Affects the swing. And so, you know, if you're in proper posture where you have a pretty neutral spine angle, usually what I'll do is I'll have players kind of start with their legs straight, their back straight, and take the grip at waist height. So the club's like parallel to the ground at waist height. And I just have them bow from there. And when they bow and just have the club reach the ground from from that starting position, usually puts them in about like their upper body's probably bending 45 degrees. And so what that does to the pelvis is it tilts it a little bit towards the golf ball. And then when you make a swing, you know, your right hip is higher than your left hip on the through swing, you get to impact, your left hip is higher than your right hip than for, for a right golfer. And so what that's doing is, you know, the pelvis is tilted in a way that it's hopefully not gonna be putting too much strain on the back if you're in good posture. Um, but you're right, I mean, other than back pain, I mean, other than back and hip pain, there's really not a whole lot of cases that I see with other parts of the body going wrong. I mean, occasionally you get golfer elbow, tennis elbow. Um, sometimes you'll see some knee problems if someone has some interesting action going on with lower body. Mm-hmm. But very rare that you have anything outside the back and hips.
1: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And so I guess in terms of uh, some of the assessments, out of curiosity, how often do you find yourself kind of doing some of like the the physical assessments in terms of like looking at some of the range of motion, or is it something that you kind of use as like a, like in your back pocket when something doesn't quite look right to be able to evaluate some mobility or, or ability to stay stable in certain things? Usually a
0: back pocket ordeal. I mean, I, I'm probably guilty of not doing that enough. I mean, TPI teaches that it's like the first thing you should do.
1: Well, Um, yeah, but, and I, I mean, I 100%
0: agree that fitness and instruction should go hand hand well being and instruction should go hand in hand because it, they all depend on each other and so that's why i feel like there there should be something where there's a communication stream between somebody's trainer somebody's doctor and their their coaches because they all rely on one another uh, when i was down at the Seattle golf performance center in, in georgia they have fitness specialists instructors club fitters people that all are in constant communication with each other working with the same student and It was really cool to see that, that sort of style because I've never been exposed to something like that before. Yeah. Everyone's a specialist with something. I mean, I like to think that I'm a full swing specialist. i I feel like I'm really good at teaching putting too, but fitness is outside of my realm to a certain degree. I mean, there's a point where you have to rely on someone in another field for their expertise and I can get a good idea from watching somebody swing and doing Maybe some of these small like TPI assessments, but there's a point where I have to hand off the reins to someone in your field or physical therapist, the trainer, and I can fill them in on the details that we've discussed. But certainly, I'd love for there to be something where there's more two-way communication between different specialists. Hundred percent.
1: Yeah. Well, and I I think, I think in facilities it's it's nice because I think that they have. Um, obviously the mission of bringing in specific experts to fill those roles, but then when you're out kind of on your own, um, or, you know, like part of a facility that doesn't have that in-house, it's kind of, I mean, it's, it's our responsibility to be able to get out and make those connections. And so I think part of that, and, and part of honestly, what I hope this podcast helps to do is, uh, show that it's important to be able to go out and learn more about, what those other experts actually do. I think the more that we understand about it, we don't necessarily need to take their, you know, like try to fill their role. But if we can understand what they do, then we can be able to make that referral at the proper time. And I think that, you know, not only is like having an understanding of what they do important to be able to make the referral, but it also helps to inform what we do within our own roles. And so having that open line of communication and finding people within your community, it just helps to kind of establish that team and essentially create that, you know, quote unquote, in-house team, even though you may not have it directly accessible at at your office or facility or whatever it is. Um, So, I mean, that's that's funny too, because the last thing that I, I wanted to talk with you a little bit about is like some of the benefits of being able to work with a teaching professional. And so I know you can do it at pretty much any age, but I think that finding good coaches, good teachers, uh, people who who understand and have like a wide grasp of like, you know, various concepts like you do about, you know, movement and golf specific techniques is super important. Um, can you talk a little bit about like, you know, the types of people like in the, the I, I guess like, is it usually that people find you when they're looking to improve their game or is it like maybe they're just getting introduced to it or, or what are the common kind of problems or challenges that people face that prompt them to to come work with you?
0: I think the, the hardest part about seeking instruction for the first time is sometimes there's, there's a stigma and gulf of, you know, people are worried that they're going to be embarrassed when they hit back golf shots. And so I think for a beginner to understand that coaches are out here to help you, um, for someone that's just starting out, any TGA professional is going to be a great resource for you to learn the fundamentals. I mean, the, your first lesson is going to be the simplest topics so of, how to hold the club, how to set up and stand to the golf ball. And it's like very simple pivot work probably. And so for a beginner, any golf coach, PGA professional is going to be a great resource for you. I think as you get older, particularly as you gain more experience, maybe you might seek more specific instruction. And so, you know, I always say a golf lesson doesn't always need to be technical either. I mean, mm-hmm. when you're looking to score better and play better, it might not have anything to do with mechanics. I mean, you can be, you can talk about, does a player have the right equipment? Do you need to go see a club fitting specialist? Um, do you want to work on your mental game you know, course management? How do you navigate your way around the golf course and make decisions on and away from, from the, the golf course? And so that's another piece, you know, fitness, working with a trainer, you can always get better doing that. And so an effective practice, I can't tell you the amount of golfers that don't know how to practice effectively and don't understand what good practice looks like. And so, you know, understanding that you don't need to spend hours and hours on the driving range if <laughs> they're purposeful and meaningful. Um, you know, I, I like to keep a ratio where I play way more than I practice. Mm-hmm. I mean, playing is way more fun. It's way more random and challenging than just sitting on a flat lie on a mat on the driving range, because. That's what the golf game is. Everything's random, everything's variable. And so if you just stand with your eight iron and hit 108 irons to the same target on the driving range over and over again, and then do the same thing with a driver, like that could be useful if you're focused and working on one thing. But if you're not, and you're in, as I tell the juniors, uh, zombie mode, sometimes mm-hmm. you'll just, you know, kind of get stuck in, in a place where you're, you're probably not doing much to help yourself. And so understanding how to effectively practice could be another lesson. And there's a lot more ways to get better aside from technique.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that's a really good point too. I think just naturally kind of based on the the focus of the podcast, I, th- I think we're hyper-focused on technique for the sake of that. But yeah, it's I, I think understanding kind of how to yeah, be able to enjoy the game and improve and, and really get a feel for it is super important too. And so yeah, good point. <laughs> Teaching doesn't always have to be specific to technique as much as all the other factors at play. Um, in terms of, but starting out, but starting out, it's
0: probably going to be that. I mean, as you become intervenient and advanced, you might stray off off course and then go do a club fitting session. You know, maybe go see a, a TBI trainer, um, have lessons where they're more focused aside from mechanics. But when you're starting out, you're just looking to get. Involved in the game and, and get to a point where you're confident and comfortable with yourself. It's probably just going to be these simple fundamentals that we've kind of discussed earlier. 100%.
1: Yeah. um So, in terms of being able to find, obviously, we'll dive into the end to some of the details on on where you're at and how people can find you and everything. But if somebody's out of the area and looking mm-hmm. to connect with a teaching professional, or um, you know, if they're like a healthcare provider, like myself, and they're looking to kind of like meet people are there certain things that they should be looking for certifications backgrounds anything that would highlight somebody as like a a cut above
0: I would say any any PGA professional in your area you can call golf courses whether they're private or public even a private course a lot of times instructors will sponsor you and bring you in you can take a a lesson at a private course could be at a public facility or like even a resort if you're near a resort Uh, and so I would say, just look for PGA professionals. Um, some are going to have TPI certifications, swing Catalyst certifications, golf digest certifications. There's, there's so many certifications out there, but as long as someone's a PGA professional and you can read up on their background and see you know, where they worked, what have they done to, to improve their coaching. And again, if you're a beginner, any PGA professional is probably going to be a great resource. But as you get more involved in the game, you're going to learn more about how to like search for maybe higher level coaches. Yeah. yeah.
1: As needed. Right? Up in that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, uh, we're going to get into the lightning round questions real quick. If you're ready for it. Absolutely. Okay. These are, well, not as random. We, we've used them, but <laughs> I'm, hopefully, hopefully you haven't listened to a complete other podcast. So they're hopefully a surprise to you, but all right. First question, uh, what is the most influential book you've read?
0: Most influential book I've ever read.
1: Doesn't need to be golf related either. I like
0: the book. It's called leaders eat last by Simon Sinek.
1: Yep. I mean, yeah, I feel like he's actually has a
0: lot of really good books, but
1: that's my favorite book. Yeah. Start with why. Yeah. Another good one. Yeah. That guy's a heck of an author. (laughs) Um, Are you reading any books right now?
0: Currently, I'm not, no. I've read, I've read a couple of golf books over this past winter. Yeah. Like ben Hogan's Five Lessons of Golf. Which, by the way, actually, that's another great way to learn stuff about the game is look at our founding fathers, Ben Hogan. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's
1: plenty of books
0: from that era that are just knowledge gold. And <laughs> yeah. looking into those would be really worthwhile for anyone to get better at the game or just even just as entertainment to – you know, read about what we're golfers talking about in the fifties and sixties and seventies. And yeah. some of it hasn't changed. I mean, a lot of the fundamentals haven't changed. There's been other things that have been discussed more recently, more in depth, but at the end of the day, what really good golfers were doing in the early 1900s is no different than what they're doing.
1: today. Yeah, pretty much. We just have more technology to further analyze, but it's pretty much. And to, and to validate with
0: measurement. Yes. But yeah. Yeah. Of yeah.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The truth, stay the truth. Um, all right. If you could have any meal delivered to your door tonight from anywhere in the world, what would it be?
0: Probably a new Haven style pizza from either modern or Salis.
1: All right. I feel like it's always pizza, (laughs) pizza from (laughs) Italy or pizza from like, yeah, somewhere specific or like sushi from Japan or something, but all right. Um, last one, if you could go back in time and give advice to a younger version of yourself, what piece of advice would you give?
0: I would probably have talked to my five or six year old self that was skating on the ice rink and say, Hey, you want to give this a try? And a That's probably what I would've done. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I didn't start golf. I didn't start golf. until I was about 12. Yeah, um, And so I think, I mean, I, I love playing ice hockey. I still skate a little bit too. And mm-hmm. ice hockey is, is one of my favorite sports other than, you know, golf and tennis. um, but yeah, probably would have asked myself from a younger age to just give it a shot.
1: Yeah. No pressure though. Curious. What, what got you to play when you, uh, when you turned 12?
0: It was actually my, um, my hatred for the game of baseball. All right. <laughs> so, um, I played baseball growing up and my parents said I had to play a sport in spring golf or ice hockey season was over by March, usually. And, and um, actually I was a good baseball pitcher. I threw really slow, so I just got shelled constantly, but, um, <laughs> I was really bad batter and I just did not really enjoy the idea of just standing around and not doing much. Yeah. Um, and so a local driving range had had batting cages freddie hills if there's anyone who's ever heard of it um pretty mm-hmm. hills and like i guess it's considered sunny town bluebell yeah and um they have batting cages there so i tried the driving range one day i was like oh this is cool and i tried that went to the local nine-hole course and joined a junior league and the rest is history
1: yeah nice it's funny i feel like a lot of uh <laughs> a lot of sports mm-hmm. loves come out of hate of baseball. <laughs> Sadly enough. It's like I love baseball, but I feel like I had so many friends who like ended up going to play like College Lacrosse that all just hated playing baseball and then they became awesome athletes at other sports. So yeah, you know, teaches rotation and you can take from that what you want. <laughs> I think
0: it's because I was such a bad batter in baseball that when I could see myself hit a golf ball like over a hundred yards, I was like, Oh, that's what it's like to be a good good batter <laughs> yeah. in baseball.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which is funny too. Cause I feel like baseball and golf are equally frustrating sports, <laughs> but like, yeah, it is. Well, it's funny, the um... golf ball doesn't even move
0: in, in, in baseball. You need to predict the pitch and yeah. different rates of speed and location where golf it's on a tee and you're sitting on fastball down the middle every time. It's <laughs> still really hard.
1: I know. I know. It's still up to you to do something with it. <laughs> well, cool. So, um, where can people find you? Um, if they want to book a lesson, if they want to follow you, if you have information going on, what are some links I can always drop them in the show. notes.
0: Yeah, so I can, uh, I can leave you with my website. I can leave you with my phone number and email address, um, to post my, my contact info there, but, um, but yeah, feel free. Any, any time, give me a call, shoot me a note and I'd be happy to get together with you, or even just if you're not in the area, refer you to another coach that I might know near you. Um, I think that'd be awesome. And I mm-hmm. hope that this information we talked about today was, was useful. And seriously, go, go take golf instruction and, and feel confident about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's no pressure. Nobody remembers a bad shot you hit on a driving ring. So it's, um, it's a great sport. You can do it for your life. Give it a go.
1: Yeah. And it's a great way to be outside. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, any, uh, any projects or anything you're working on, anything you got going on or anything you want to let people know about? um
0: so the golf season up here as everyone knows is basically april to november give or take maybe a nice day in the winter where you can get out and play on a soggy <laughs> golf course that has melted snow but um yeah in in the off season I, I typically travel a little bit and do a little shadowing with with coaches that I, I try to link up with um i think the the best thing i, I did in my career was my uh, director of golf at philly cricket club told me to I was serious about instruction send a note to every top 100 instructor in the country and ask them if I could watch them teach. And um, I said, oh, you'll usually get a 4% response rate. And I think I probably had four or five people respond back to me and one or two that said I could watch them teach. And so um, that's kind of my projects for for the offseason is I try to get in touch with different coaches and just soak up information try to learn as much as I can from them so I can come back here and help out, you know, my members affiliate Philly Cricket or other golfers in the area.
1: So yeah.
0: that's kind of my, uh, my current plans for, for the off season
1: here. For sure. And you know, for what it's worth, and I think it's a testament to you, the the person who, um, told me about you, one of the first things that he said was that, uh, the thing that he most appreciated about you was your drive to become a better teacher. And he said that he's worked with a lot of teaching professionals who, kind of get, you know, wrapped up in their own, I guess, uh, confidence around like expertise or whatever it is, but that there was something special about your approach to it, where you were passionate and obsessed with becoming a better teacher. And I think that's something that, um, I mean, you should get a lot of credit for it's, it's one of the main reasons I wanted to connect with you. And I just sincerely appreciate you taking the time to be able to share some information. You made a ton of great points. I learned a lot listening to you. Um, and I just appreciate you being a resource. So thanks so much, man. Thanks, Elon. I really
0: appreciate you having me today. It was fun. Cool.